When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Bernie and Sid Show. I'm Lydia Serrani here with John Katzmatidis filling in for Sid Rosenberg. And no one could ever sit in for the great Bernie McGurk. So we are now going to head overseas and find out what is going on in Ukraine. There was that bridge that was blown up, the one that links Crimea, the Kerch Bridge, I believe that it's called. Um, filling us in on all the latest information about what's going on. Ambassador John Bolton. Hello, Ambassador Bolton. Welcome to Bernie and Sid in the morning. Good morning. Glad to be with you. Well, no, uh, the American people really, really don't understand what the heck is going on in Russia and Ukraine. Can, can you enlighten us a little bit? Well, it looks like the uh, Ukrainians have gotten more daring in their targeting of key Russian assets, and that's what the uh, attack on the Kerch Bridge uh, represents it's the it's the way Russia gets its supplies into the Crimea, which it annexed uh, illegally back in 2014. Uh, and Vladimir Putin uh, responded. He said yesterday at a reading a meeting of the Russian National Security Council that the missile attacks all over Ukraine yesterday and this morning uh, were in response to that. So uh, I think uh, the the Russians have been mauled in the past couple of weeks by Ukrainian forces on the ground in Ukraine, Ukrainians gaining ground both in the north and the south. And uh, and now this attack on one of Putin's prize accomplishments, the annexation of Crimea and this critical bridge, uh, I think has has forced Putin to up the ante here. Now, whether this is going to continue, whether the Russians have the assets to do it or not remains open to question. But I think, unfortunately, what it shows is that this war is grinding on. It will grind on into the winter, and uh, I don't I don't see a way for it to end in the near term. That is uh, that's concerning, uh, Ambassador. Well, it is, and I think uh, what Putin is counting on, in part because uh, some of these attacks, some of these missile targets were terrorist in their in their intentions. Uh, one landed in a, a a park in Kiev, the capital city of Ukraine. Tarashevchenko Park near a university. We've all seen the the uh, crater that it made next to a children's playground. I've stayed in a hotel about 30 yards from where that thing landed. So it is right in downtown Kiev. Uh, and I think that's the that's the sort of approach. What Putin is going to try and put more pressure on uh, the Ukrainian government and on European governments uh, as they face cold weather and uh, this winter and possible inadequate supplies of natural gas to keep their industries moving. If he can't win on the battlefield, Putin will try and win uh, among the European governments to, to have them put pressure on Ukraine to say, look, let's just have a ceasefire here. Ambassador, you, you have called for a regime change. Uh, and Putin had put out uh, signals to the 
Turkish government, Erdogan, that he wants to at least uh, have a sit down uh, with uh, Ukraine. And Ukraine said absolutely not. I mean, what say you? Well, that's one. No, no, I think that's one reason why there doesn't seem to be a way out of this. I don't think Putin at this point, uh, as Russian forces on the ground remain in retreat, that he can ask for a ceasefire. It would put him in a position of real weakness. But on the other hand, uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine can hardly ask for a ceasefire while his forces are winning, but still don't have back even the territory they've lost to Russia since February the 24th, let alone the territory that Russia seized in 2014. Uh, so I don't I don't think Zelensky's in any mood to negotiate, which is why Putin is thinking, how do I put pressure on Zelensky, particularly from France and Germany, which he thinks will weaken as the winter uh, grows on here because of the pressure of their domestic constituencies, worried that they're not getting enough heating, their jobs are imperiled by the lack of production in German and French industries and things like that. And what about the threat of a nuclear war? I mean, you had President Biden saying during that Democratic fundraiser, we're on the precipice of an Armageddon. In my opinion, I thought that was pretty irresponsible of the president of the United States to make such a comment. Well, it was vastly overstated. And uh, and I'm afraid this, the way Putin reads that, and, and you can bet they, they yeah. watch what Biden says word yeah. for word, is Putin thinks he's got Biden intimidated. And I would say, candidly, that I think, that I think Putin has done more to intimidate Biden during this war than, than we've tried, than we've intimidated Putin. We've, we've always been kind of a day late and a dollar short with our uh, responses to Ukrainian requests for weapons. They've frequently gotten there, but after months or weeks of consideration, there's going to be an emergency meeting today of the G7 leaders, U.S., U.K., France, Germany, uh, and, and others to uh, hear a presentation from Zelensky asking for more weapons. I think this is the time to do it. I think uh, with with the Ukrainians showing they're prepared to fight. They're not asking any of us to fight for them. They're just saying, give us the tools uh, and, and we will take care of this problem. This would be a moment to be responsive and not to have a two or three months debate about it. How, do, how does this end? I mean, the U- United States can't keep sending billion, uh, billions and billions. I mean, it's to, it's not sustainable at this point. And Putin doesn't look like he's backing down. Zelensky... I don't know. How does this go? How does this go at the end? Well, you know, the prime minister of Finland was asked uh, how this ends. And and she said a couple of days ago, it's a thing on the Internet. Now it's viral. She says, how does it end? It ends when Russian troops leave Ukraine. That's how it ends. And that that's the answer. The Russians have committed aggression here, unprovoked uh, in February of this year and in 2014. And uh uh, unless we're prepared to see this continued kind of instability in Europe and elsewhere, because China's watching this very closely, we have to we have to show that that kind of aggression is unacceptable. You know, if you go back to the first Persian Gulf War, when Saddam Hussein's Iraq invaded Kuwait, George H.W. Bush uh, asked by reporters what what he was going to do. He said this will not stand this aggression against Kuwait. And it didn't. And that was an important moment, and and we've got another one right here in Ukraine today. But the chance of Putin actually backing down, I think it's slim to none. I think he'd rather be dead six feet under before he would ever withdraw his troops. So, like you said, it it appears the only way out of this is a regime change. Well, as I say, on the battlefield, the default position is the war continues. 
but Putin is now in a worse position domestically in Russia than he's been since the beginning of the war. I, I don't think he's in danger today or next week or something like that, but he's on a downhill trajectory. Uh, and within the Russian military, they, they know they're being humiliated. They can see it. And uh, uh, the, the level of discontent is rising, not only among the population, but among uh, the people who really hold power, the military, the intelligence services, it could be very messy. Let's let's be be uh, clear eyed about this, uh, because there isn't any constitutional mechanism uh, that allows for a change of, of power peacefully and, and carefully in Russia. But I just I think Putin, unless he can deliver victory, uh, I, I think he's I think his troubles will increase. And some people have asked military experts, well, what did Putin gain from these missile strikes? Uh, maybe not much militarily, but I think in domestic Russian terms, he, he was able to say to the hardliners who don't object to the war in Ukraine, they object to losing the war in Ukraine. He can now say, I've struck back at the Ukrainians. So I think actually this uh, improves his his uh, Putin's political posture and gives him more time to see if he can figure out how to do better on the battlefield. Well, Ambassador, thank you so much uh, for calling in. Anything else you want to tell the American people? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's very important to, to keep an eye on China next week. You know, it's the 20th uh, Congress of the Chinese Communist Party. They're going to make Xi Jinping, uh, if all goes according to plan, in effect, president for life. Uh, we've got plenty of problems with China now. Once he solidifies his, his position, uh, we're going to have a lot more in Taiwan and the economic sphere. So we, we're, we're heading into a period over the next couple of years where the U.S. is going to be challenged in multiple places. We're going into a presidential contest. It's time for the people who want to be president to explain how they're going to protect the American people from all these threats. Well, thank you so much, Ambassador John Bolton, and uh, we'll look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Yes. And, uh, look forward to it. Thank you. Let's keep our eyes open, and thank you so much. God bless. Thank you.